This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by David Moore and Evan Grant. And we've had a couple of different podcasts. We've had a uh, uh, smorgasbord with Chuck Carlton, in which we talked about. Uh, you love that word. I do love that word. Why well, I, love, I love eating. Uh, uh, when was had, the last time you ate at, at, a, at smorgasbord. a smorgasbord? Are you kidding? Every, every we have one in our house. We have a little bar, and it says right <laughs> over it, smorgasbord. Uh, is that uh, we talked some hockey and college football and basketball, and then we had our Rangers podcast, in which we talked about Rangers stuff. Uh, and now we're going to talk about the Cowboys and the draft. The draft was last weekend. Three rounds, or I mean three rounds, three days of it. And the Rangers were not part of the first day of it, unless we want to count. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you count Amari Cooper as part of the draft? No. Oh, well. No. You used a, an asset to acquire him. Yeah. You know what? Did you draft him? No. You traded for him. True. You traded a first-round pick for him. Correct. But he's oh, not part good, of the draft. I mean, this is a good debate. I mean, it's the, how do you assess their class? Do you completely dismiss him from consideration when you look at the value this class has given you? Or do you say, no, you have to include him in the value of this class as you assess it going forward well, I because think you, you used an asset to acquire him? I think you, you note that, look, you used a first-round pick to acquire him, but I don't think he counts – I don't think he counts as you know part of your draft hall. Of course, you're you're wrong. Of course, you are, because here's the thing: when people <laughs> say, when people, I, I don't think he likes your no. When people look at a draft and they, and they say, and you don't have a first round pick, they when when people are grading the national analysts, they always count it against you, right? Yeah. Because they'll say, well, you, so you didn't have a first round pick. So, so I'm, in other I, words, I, people I, agree with me. No, no. Yes, not. no, they, they do. No, they agree with me. No, what I'm saying is if you don't have one, they knock you back automatically. They say, so your draft's not as good. You don't have a first-round pick. Correct. Did they have a first-round pick? No, their draft wasn't my, as good. My point is is that you say it had nothing to do with it. It did have something to do with the fact that you don't have one. They're saying you can't have it both ways is what I'm saying. You can't say, I'm going to count this against you because you don't have one. No, I agree, yeah. So, therefore, you know, well, but, but we got something for this it guy. It can be a positive or a negative. You just have to say. Right. And then. Absolutely. How disingenuous is that? Because it does factor. Because it's all about asset allocation. Sure. And, and management. And sure. you chose to give up a first-round pick in order to get. Now, look, and I, I think you would view the trade differently if Amari Cooper was 27 years old instead of 24 years old. Sure. He won't turn 25 until June. Yeah, and you look at the position. So, again, it's a – I think most people – I think you have to acknowledge what you've got in him, but most people tend to judge 
they tend to judge just what's in front of you. And they'll say, okay, Amari Cooper's not in front of you. He wasn't taken. Uh, you know what you've gotten with him. We're just looking at the players that are on the board. And if you do that, I think it's interesting because I, I think this, um, you know, the, the Cowboys draft, drafting ability for a long time was certainly under fire and questioned as far as their yes. expertise. Justifiably so. I would think, I, I think over these last five years particularly, but you can even go back six, seven years, but let's say the last five to seven years that they have done, they have been so successful at every level of the draft, not just the first day, but second day and third day, that I think they've bought um, or they've earned the trust of a lot of people here and, and, and have earned the benefit of the doubt as to far as what their decision-making is and their mythology and, and, and how they go about it. Mythology all, or methodology? Methodology. All of that. <laughs> I'd say all of that mythology. Mythology. Yeah, there we go. All of that being said, if you – and I agree with that. I, I think they should be given the benefit of the doubt based on their recent history Pretty much, and yeah. approach. Yeah. All of that being said, if you took what they did in this draft, which was – almost a, a, a willful and defiant attitude toward taking a safety yeah, I'll to, say to upgrade that position. They weren't listening to Gill. Yeah, uh, taking a, an offensive lineman in the second round. Third round. Third round, who there's a good chance he will not be part of the active roster week in and week out during the season and drafted two running backs when you had the league's leading rusher. Yeah. You take all of that into account – you take this draft class and drop it back in 2009, 2010, what would people be saying about this draft class? I think people were – yes, you're right. And they would be a lot madder about it than they are now. And I think that people still are kind of mad about it because – I think they're puzzled by it. They're sure. puzzled because, look, here's a draft where all anybody talked about was the number of safeties in it. This is the best – Gil Brandt, who's 86 years old, said this is the best safety class I have ever seen. And the Cowboys waited until the sixth round to take the kid from uh, Texas A&M. Yeah. Sixth round, which is what they usually Not do. Wilson. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what they do. They, they, you know, which to them is upgrading the position. I guess, it, I guess so. He's not a free agent. Jeff Heath was an undrafted rookie yeah, free agent. That's so. right. Uh, it, it, it does seem purposeful. It does seem willful. And, and, uh, and, and What's the purpose to it? Uh, I, I think that – well, I think that their thinking is that – well, they spell that out. We just don't really care about safeties. Well, they have a a strong positional preference on the three technique defensive tackle, which they went with in the second round, right? Uh, over safety, but a Tristan Hill. But but I'll say this, and we'll get more into each of these guys. But you know, when they were debating what to do in the second round, it came down to Tristan Hill and Juan Thornhill, mm -hmm. the safety from Virginia, right? Uh, but earlier in the day, my understanding was they had pretty much already determined they would go with Hill over Thornhill because, because in their system, in their defensive scheme, they give so much more weight to a three-technique defensive tackle who can disrupt the quarterback from the interior of the defensive line. They give that much more weight than they do a safety on the back end. And if you want to go through all of the defense, probably – the only spot that that has less of a weight accorded to it is defensive tackle, is the is the 
the run stopping the, the, the nose tackle, technique. basically, yeah. the one technique. So um, when you go across the board defensively, I mean, strong side linebacker now, based on the number of snaps played, would be in there as well. But But you're looking at the one technique defensive tackle, strong side linebacker, and safety as the lowest rated priorities on your defense. Yeah. So uh, they lean that way. But, but, but my question is, do they lean so far that way that they minifi- minimize what the impact would be of a safety position? I mean, do they, do they swing so far toward their preference of what uh, an elite, uh, a hopefully elite defensive tackle can do that they don't give enough credence to what a really quality safety would do for you. And is this team in week seven and eight going to look up again and say, well, we like what we've done defensively, but we've just got to get more turnovers. Well, if you've got to get more turnovers, why don't you get some players on the back end who can make plays for you? Because well, uh, not only did you, because let's look at the guys. Listen, first of all, I want to say I don't disagree with anything that, that they believe. You yeah. do win in the offensive and defensive line. Sure. This is where the best players – you look at what Alabama does year in and year out. They win because they dominate in the offensive and but defensive But do they line. give an inordinate amount of weight to, like, say, that three technique over what a quality safety well, that, can do for you? And that – because here's – we go back to last year's draft, what Derwin James did. Derwin James yeah. dropped to 17. He yeah. was supposed to be a top-10 pick. This is across the league. People don't care about safeties. You know, at least they, they, the Cowboys are not unusual in this, thinking that they that they minimize what a, the safeties impact. But then look what Derwin James did for the Chargers last year. He was a terrific player for them. He's, he, yeah. he, he probably should have been, in my I, I know that uh, – oh, the, the, Leighton Van Der Esch. No, not Van Der Esch, but, but the, the Colts linebacker, Darius Leonard. Oh, he, Darius he was the rookie, the defensive rookie of the year, yeah. and he, he was tremendous. You Byron know, Jones was the last secondary – Guy that they used their first round pick on, yes, uh, a and, cornerback. But, and he but, was a corner coming out. But he was right? the safety. Well, he came in as a safety. No, he he, he well, came he was out a corner for two years and safety for two that's years. True. And then they brought him in. He played safety for them. But he then did. moved him to corner. And that's a great yeah. point because the but the but the other if you go back over the Jerry Jones history, they've taken uh, the the the. Uh, the the safeties they've taken because I, I can really count it Byron as a, as a warmer cornerback even though he did play safety and then he blended uh, the the safeties they've drafted in the in the first two rounds were Darren Woodson Roy Williams and Tony Dixon and nobody's ever heard of Tony Dixon because he didn't do anything that was the Quincy Carter draft mm-hmm. uh, but that's pretty good percentage right Roy Williams and Darren Woodson made uh, pretty big impacts right. on these defenses and right. if you take a player who is good enough which is to your point if this guy's really good then he's going to improve this position. And that's what you're trying to do, right? This is the clearly the weak point of your defense was Jeff Heath at safety. Uh, and if you can upgrade that position, then why in the world wouldn't you want to do that? Sure, and, and you also get into, look, I, I think uh, Tristan Hill this year is going to be a rotational defensive. I, you know, could he come in and as the season goes on, could he be good enough that he displaces Malik Collins and starts – I guess there's at least a potential for that. But but even if he does, Malik Collins is still going to, to get a lot of snaps. Sure. It's that three technique, and there's going to be a rotation. So you're looking at your upside of a rotational defensive lineman versus, say, if uh, Juan Thornhill came in and was starting safety from day one, he's how many more snaps is that going to be for your defense 
as an upgrade as far as a guy on the field versus what you get. And look, I, I know you're you're weighing apples and oranges somewhat here, and this is there's no exact science to it. And and they place greater look. The Cowboys will come back, and, and they even said after the draft, Stephen Jones said, "Look, I know the perception." perception of what we have at safety is much different outside the building than what it is inside the building yeah and to to go even farther than that I think the Cowboys look at it and say look we have a good defense we've been a top 10 defense the last two years in this league we've been a top seven defense scoring defense in each of the last two years Mm -hmm. and you're saying we're doing that with these starting safeties we have how bad can they be Mm -hmm. so I I understand that but also each of these years are saying, well, to be the difference in a, a really good defense and a dominant defense is you have to force turnovers, and we just don't force turnovers. And to, to force turnovers, you have to have someone on the back end who can get those turnovers. Absolutely, and that's what Juan Thorne – and there were other safeties available. Nasser Adderley from uh, Delaware, who was considered maybe the biggest ball hawk in the draft. You know, that, that's what he was known for. Now, I realize the yeah. competition he's playing against is not as good – but that was there was a lot of feeling he could really do that. We also had Rapp, the Washington safety. Had, had yeah, Taylor Rapp was, that. was Taylor Rapp was there too. I mean, they had that there they had choices at safety there beyond. Tra- now look, they took Hill one because of their positional preference. Two, they didn't feel Hill would be there in the third round at number ninety when they picked. Right. So, um, I you know I get that if you're in love with a guy and and you're not going to be able to move up and you're convinced he won't be there on your next round you can say it's reaching but if you wouldn't have had a chance to get that guy otherwise you know do it but but I'll, I'll, I'll say all this too and what they were hoping was after they took Hill they felt well you know what I bet we can get Will Harris at mm-hmm. number 90 in the second Boston round. College. Or, or I bet we can get cornerback Justin Lane. Mm-hmm. And, and I think really their order at that point was, I think they were sitting there saying, you know what, um, we really hope we get Justin Lane there really? at 90, and there's a shot. And he just went a few spots ahead to, to Pittsburgh right. in the third round. Uh, th- their order was Justin Lane, and then I was told there was going to be a robust debate between Connor McGovern and Will Harris at number 90. But I get the impression they would have gone Harris. And, really? And, and the other thing on all this, so, so they would have gotten their safety. So, so I think their ideal scenario was, look, we know Hill or anyone comparable to him as far as his potential for disrupting the quarterback from the three position won't be there later. Mm-hmm. So we have to take him now. And we still have a shot, we a pretty good shot, where we think we're going to get Lane or Hill. Yeah. Now, both of them went ahead, and then they were stuck. But, but again, I find all this interesting. Don't tell me you're, you're going strictly best player because Connor McGovern was rated ahead of Tristan Hill. Yeah. And you took him at number 90. Right. Now, so don't tell me that position that we're always going best player because you did not. You would have gone Connor McGovern in the second. Now, there's not much separation in there, and that's where your uh, weighing positions and, and your immediate need and all that come into effect. But that's where – so, yeah, Connor McGovern makes sense where he was because he was so far ahead of anyone else on their board at the time. But he was also ahead of who you took in the second round. So, you know what? You could have you could have said, is, is the difference in a three technique and a really quality safety that different? And, See, that, and that's, you could have gone safe. That's my point is that, okay, 
I get you really like Tristan Hill, but for one thing, this is a guy who got in trouble with not one staff, but two staffs. Mainly one, though. Scott Scott Frost was pretty complimentary of him. He was. He was complimentary. But they were having trouble with him as a sophomore. He got fewer snaps. There were rumors he was not. He was, you know, we we hear how he plays hard. What they're seeing tape of is what he's doing in games. What we're not seeing tape of is what he's doing in practice. You know, and so Rod Marinelli has some discussions with him, some talks with him, and and Rod falls in love with him. And and listen, Rod's a great coach, and he's a great coach. Uh, of, yeah. of guys in defensive lines in particular. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to question any of that. I'm, I'm, what I'm questioning is is that you're also kind of running the risk. What if he comes in here and he's a little bit – what if he's Taco Charlton? What if he d- comes in and he's not going to work so hard? You know, what if he says, oh, you know what, I'm not big on the little contract we signed here. You know, I'm not saying – the point is is that there were issues here that caused him to drop. Sure. And, you know, he, he had probably he might have had round one talent, maybe. Uh, but but he, he was dropping for a Toward reason. the end of the first round talent. And, yeah. and when you just as you said, when you've got these guys rated this close, don't tell me how much you're in love with somebody, because the, the next guy on your draft board is just a little bit behind him. And if you play the game right, maybe you get the guys that you want anyway. You can't always just say that, well, we were afraid that someone else was going to take him. Well, if someone else takes him, then you take somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is always somebody that else. It works out there. for you sometimes, too. Yes, absolutely. It worked, out for you. it worked out for you with Dak Prescott. Yes, it did. Absolutely it did. They tried to get three quarterbacks in that draft, didn't get any of them, and just kind of settled for Dak Prescott. Uh, that's absolutely right. And, that, and that's to me, this is when they do things like they did in this draft. It's it kind of smells like the drafts of back in the '90s, you know, when they yeah. would jump, and then when they jumped to take Quincy Carter. I made the point that you know, even in the draft where they got Travis Frederick, who was who obviously was was a great pick. He's worked out terrifically, mm-hmm. but there was a feeling that Travis Frederick was going to drop, and that and they also wanted to tie it in. They could have taken Zach Ertz if they wanted to with that thirty-first uh, pick of the first round. They did not. They took Gavin Escobar instead with their second-round pick. Uh, and they, you know, maybe Travis Frederick doesn't last. Until so you're saying that if they could have gotten Zach Ertz and Travis Frederick, it would have been better than Travis Frederick and, and Gavin, Gavin Escobar. Escobar. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the point, you know, and so you'd say, okay, well, we wouldn't have gotten Travis Frederick if we had taken Zach Ertz or maybe some other team would have taken him. Maybe that's so, but here's the deal. If you got Zach Ertz or you got Travis Frederick, those are two pro bowl players. Yeah. They're they're It's a great player either way. And, uh, to me, you, you have to pay some attention to what other teams are saying or what you think other teams are going to do as far as this, this guy, uh, you know, Zach Ertz was clearly the best tight end in that draft, clearly. I mean, everybody thought so going mm-hmm. in, and that has proven to be the point, you know. Uh, so mm-hmm. to me, when you're smart about something, which the Cowboys have been unquestionably, they have taken, as you said, they've taken players and they've been good players and they've done a good job. My point is, is that, yeah, but why don't you use those that good thinking in the second and third round uh, and, and take guys earlier that, you know, that everybody knows are going to go off the board. And you, and you have to get them now because these are the guys that everybody knows about. Because you can, you can outthink yourself in a draft. Oh, sure you, you just can. absolutely sure. can. You can overanalyze yourself to death. And I think that you get into a position, whether guys want to admit it or not, where you rank players. And I think that th- – uh, this is just a complete conjecture and assumption on my part that even after you put your board together, there is that that moment of buyer's remorse where you say, well, do I really like this guy or do I like this guy that I've got ranked below him a little bit more? And if I can get this guy 
and then get the second guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I it's it's not as easy as just ranking players and pulling them off the board. I I think yeah. that you know you're also projecting element, what other teams are going to do and where you know. Well, yeah. you got to be able to adjust as a, as a draft moves oh, sure. along, and you had to see sure. what's happening. And guys are falling. They just did twice. They had two players take. They didn't go into the draft saying we want to go from six to eight players taken. No, oh, right. They but they, but teams they jumped right in front of them, took players they wanted twice in the uh, at the end of the fourth and also in the fifth round, and so they wound up moving back. Did, did they take – so they get Tony Pollard from Memphis, and this is the yeah. guy they keep saying they're going to do something with. And this is this is Tavon Austin. This is this is Lance Dunbar. This yeah. Is, this is that Only player. a stronger runner, yeah. You yeah, know, that, but yes. This is that player they always say they're going to – Dunbar ass. Boy, he's just yeah. going to do it all. He's going to go – he's going to catch passes. He, and, of course, to, in my thinking – when I, I don't know, and I really respect what Steven's been able to do in, in the organization, especially working with his father. Uh, but when he says things like, we're going to get, you know, 20, you know, he makes it sound like 20 touches a game. Well, he's counting special team snaps. Is he counting special yes. teams? Okay, yes. well, then that's a little different. Yeah. Uh, but first of all. He said 30 snaps. So, yeah. Well, then, so you got to. That's a lot. He's going to be on the field for every special team's snap. Yeah. yeah. So, but. You know, to me, kickoff returns are, are almost nil now. Yes. Uh, you shouldn't even really count that or even worry about it. It's not a play. It. It's not a play anymore. Punt returns just, are. And the Cowboys have been very poor in punt returns. And, and uh, he, hasn't re- he didn't return punts And he didn't return punts in college. So, to me, it's kind of they like – They say they can use but, but, him there. But let me ask so. you a question. What percentage of punt returns are actually plays? Oh, you mean where he's not a fair catch? Yeah, I don't know what the percentage is, but the Cowboys finished near the bottom of the league. I'm just, I, yeah, I know. I'm just saying. I mean, it's yeah. it, 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 at this stage, I would say if you're talking about an actual snap and value on the on the team at that point in time, it's about fifty percent of the time. It's probably a play, right? Oh, oh I don't even think it's fifty no. percent. Less no. than that, yeah. between yeah. fair catches and punts into the end zone. Yeah, about forty. Now, but what what happens is though, if you have a return guy back there, you alter what the other team does, and maybe you can get some mistakes or you get some shorter punts. Sure, they try to go sure. out of bounds and they can't do it. Sure, well, that, I mean, punting, but yeah. if you've got a game changing punt returner, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, look what yeah. ta- when Tavon was healthy at the end of the year when he came back, yeah. he had the one punt he return. Had that, yeah, he had one that was called back that was a that was a touchdown, mm-hmm. and then he had a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's that's a difference you know if you can get something out of it that's that's obviously worth doing but so when they took mike weber is that just because oh look it's the seventh round and mike weber still available shouldn't we go ahead and take him well no pollard is that they don't consider say ezekiel elliott's out for two to three games with an injury they don't consider pollard a guy that they can hand the ball to 20 to 25 okay. times a game they need they need another weber Ohio is State a guy. running back yeah they need yet another uh, so Weber is insurance for Elliott, um, missing a few games with injury or whatever. Pollard is used to, uh, enhance what they do offensively. And, but to me it's very telling because it's, uh, the, the intriguing thing here is this shows you when they're talking about being more creative offensively and diversifying things. Did they go out and get receivers? Did they do that in free agency? Right. No, they went out and they re-signed their fullback, and they brought in Tony Pollard, and they brought in like another backup running back. Uh, This team's going to diversify offensively, but it's still clearly going to be a run-first team. Right. And it's going to be variations out of that, maybe moving receivers around. Sometimes you use the, the the bubble screen with Pollard. You put him outside and throw him that, or you, you throw to him out of the backfield. But you also have him – again, their idea of varying this offense is 
okay, Elliott's not on the field, Pollard's in the backfield, that doesn't mean we're going to throw it to him. We could run with him too. Yeah. But you don't know. Right. So that's that's what you're talking about. That That is the creativity yeah. uh, that, that well, this that, offense will use going forward. Which remains to be seen. Yes. Uh, whether they're actually going to commit to something like that. Uh, okay, a couple of other things. Uh, uh, I want to say this really fast because I'm going to forget about it if I don't say it. Okay. So Larry Allen's kid, Larry yes. Allen Jr., they signed him as a free agent yes. out of Harvard. Out of Harvard. Out of Harvard. How about that? Mm-hmm. How, how, how many how many Cowboys players' sons have gone to Harvard, do you think, over the years? I don't believe I could count it on one hand. <laughs> I don't think I could either. That's pretty good. Larry Allen Jr. out of Harvard. And also they got Chris Westry, the, which is the yeah. interesting defensive back from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Very raw. 6'4", though. 6'4", and runs a 4'3", 40. Where did, where did Larry Allen go to school? He was, uh, Panoma. Panoma. Panoma, is that what it is? Pomona State? Yeah, Pomona State. Was it that what it was? Pomona or Pan- or Pomona? It's Pomona, isn't it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think it's Pomona. <laughs> I think you can you come down with Pomona. <laughs> it gets in your lungs. <laughs> I think that's right. But I'm I'm still going to on the uh, academic I think on the academic honor roll I'll still take now I, they're not both cowboys but I'll take the Yale Duke combo. Calvin Hill. And, Calvin and, and Grant. And yeah. Grant. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, Moses Malone used to introduce his two kids as going to Harvard and going to Yale. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. how he used to introduce his two kids in, in, in locker rooms to uh, to reporters when they were hanging out. <laughs> that's funny. So, uh, uh, anyway, I, I like you – know, because we, we talk about the Miami cornerback that they took as a project, big kid. Uh, and I Look up his name there, David. Who, what's his name? Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. How, do, how can we forget you, you that? You forgot Michael Jackson. I forgot name. Michael Jackson. And Joe Jackson. He went after Joe Jackson. As I said, two of my favorite singers. I thought Tito was going to be signed as <laughs> unrestricted free agent, but they did not get to him. I like that Joe so Jackson surprising. is not related to Michael Jackson. But anyway. Uh, uh, Miami gets all the singers. These are these are they pro- had Rohan and Marley. Yeah, mm-hmm. these are these are projects. Uh, these guys are uh, so these are guys they can work with. How many of these guys? I'm gonna drop my mic. How many of these guys on this uh, list here do you feel like could make an immediate impact? And when, when I say that, I mean special teams guys who are going to get a little rotational play. Any start? First of all, any starters in that? Two, bunch? maybe three. Two, maybe three. So who are your two or three? Pollard and Tristan Hill. Tristan Hill, yeah. And I think Jack Michael Jackson can possibly do something for them. I, I think he'll make it as the fifth corner. Well, he's get, he's definitely got some elusive moves. He's, oh, stop oh, it. Yeah, yeah, stop yeah. This it. is going to start the joke series yeah. coming up now. Which isn't a bad thing. Really. I, might, I, I might move over to the Cowboys just to use some Michael Jackson puns. <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you, I, and I know that, uh, and, you, and you make the point, it's a very good point. I think Connor McGovern going forward is going to be a starter for this team. I think so, too. I, I think that's a good pick. But, but if you're talking about immediate return on investment, yeah. unless there is a significant injury to one of the starters in the offensive line, I don't see you getting much from McGovern this no, year. No, but I will say this. Of all the picks and where they got them, mm-hmm. I think McGovern, to me, was the best one. A third-round pick on a guy who was the sec- considered the well, second-best yeah, guard. You have a second-round grade, yeah. Yeah, he was the second-best guard in the draft, people felt like. And you're, and you're getting him in the third round, uh, and uh, I just think that was a good pick. I didn't have a problem with that one. 
Well, so. it insulates you go, again, and the reason you do this is Lyle Collins is a unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, right. and you can lose him. And Dude, let me ask you, you this: You, you, you already do, pay three Pro Bowlers in the offensive line. How much more can you invest in the yeah. offensive line? So, you know, if if you're losing, if you're losing, um, so you're saying like like Ron Leary, you expect. Lyle yeah, Collins to I go. think there's I think there's a good chance. I think he will command more, just like they wanted to keep Anthony Hitchens, yeah, at linebacker, right. But he was more valuable to Kansas City because they hadn't invested it, you know, at that position. You're you're going to, you know, when you get up to, when you're as good as these players are and show that body of work, you're going to be filling a hole in a need for another team, and they're worth more to other teams than they are to you right. because of the salary structure. It's all designed that way. So, but what happens? You lose Anthony Hitchens, and then you come back and replace him with Leighton Vander Esch. Mm-hmm. You have a fourth-round pick that you got great value out of. You lose him, but now you replace him with a first-round pick, and you get a compensatory pick in the fourth round to help replace the guy that that, yeah. that went. So. Yeah. This is the, the Cowboys have drafted well enough. They're they're in this this shuffling game now as far as as what they do going forward. So that, that's why Connor, you know, McGregor, McGregor, Connor McGovern, McGovern makes sense. Uh, Tristan Hill, the same thing. Malik Collins is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Now I don't know that his numbers are high enough that um, he's going to get huge money on the open market, but you just gave huge money to DeMarcus Lawrence. Right. You're going to have to give uh, it at least a bigger contract to Byron Jones. If you're going to keep him, um, you're going to have Jalen Smith coming up in a couple of seasons. So, I mean, uh, again, how much big money at certain positions can you can get continue to give? And so, um, and, and the other thing I'll say about Malik Collins too, I, he's very good and they like him a lot. But, you know, Rod Marinelli's first year here, before he was defensive coordinator, he, he was here strictly as a defensive line coach for one year uh, under Kip Monty Kiffin before he took over as off the defensive coordinator. Jason Hatcher had 11 sacks from that three technique yeah. the first year. Got him a big contract in Washington. No one has come close since. Yeah. And Malik Collins is a solid player. He's very good. He has not come close to double-digit sacks. And I think what you've seen here in the last few years, now that Dallas has built its defense to this level, Rod Marinelli's convinced if I just had that three-technique tackle, this would be a special defense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why last year – you had this team without any rationale whatsoever thinking, oh, maybe we can get David Irving back for the playoffs mm-hmm. until they actually put him through a workout a week before the L.A. game, and he's doubled over because he's so out of condition. And then finally they go, we can't do it. But, but they were hoping against hope because, you know what, this takes our defense to another level. We have everything else if we just have – and Rod Marinelli's always said this. If you have, he's always wanted uh, a double-digit guy on the edge and a double-digit guy from that three technique. He says if you have both of those, the rest of your defense falls into place. He's a firm believer on that. So I, I think what we've seen these last couple of years, their insistence on sticking with David Irving and what they did here with Tristan Hill is just they feel this is the element that can take them to be a special defense. But – Again, we'll see. Yeah, we will. Uh, all right, it looks like that's it. we're out of time here. Evan's uh, indicating that. Thank you, Evan, for that uh, indication. Uh, what does that mean? Snapping, breaking? Break. 
break? Break. We need a break? We need a break. Oh, that is so good. I love that you know this kind of a, a lingo and sign language. That's very good. That's not sign language. It's not really it's sign language. It's TV, it's TV talk. TV talk? Is that what that is? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, Wrap it up. So much to that. Wrap it up. David, thanks for all the expertise on the draft. There was, there was nothing else you wanted to, to say about it? No. no. Not one thing? No. That was... <laughs> Wow, that's it. We covered it all. Let's move on. Uh, let me ask you <laughs> one quick thing. Daniel, sure. Daniel I guess Jones. there is something then. Daniel Jones, too high at six? Well, of course. Yeah. But, again, if you like the player and you're convinced he's going to fit your system and that's what you do going forward. Look, Although you could have got him at 17 maybe? Probably so. But, but would you have been able to get DeAndre Baker? Yeah, that's the thing. Are you – Oh no, Dexter Lawrence was Dexter Lawrence. Lawrence. DeAndre Baker was at thirty. Yeah, the, I mean, I, I think you come out of that first is, round with those with those two defensive players. You've done pretty good. You could have had Ed Oliver though. Is it a reach? Yes, but if you're talking about, okay, I took him at six instead of seventeen. How much are you really reaching? See, I I I look at it a little bit differently. If if you're taking a player within a half a round mm-hmm. or even three quarters of a round of where you could get him, um. Are you really reaching if you're convinced that's the guy you want? Because if you stayed put, you wouldn't be able to get him, you know, in your next round. If so you, I, if, I look at it a little differently. If you had gone, let's say you had gone. Technically, Dexter, it's reaching, let, but yeah. Let's say you had gone Dexter Lawrence at six, DeAndre Baker at seven. Well, Dexter Lawrence is too high at six. And Daniel Jones at 30. How much of a reach would that have been? Daniel Jones at 30? Well, yeah. Dexter no. Lawrence at, at six is too high. How, how, how high is it? How many picks too high? Well, as I said, Ed Oliver went to nine, and they and they felt like that he was falling at nine when right. when Buffalo got him there. He's a difference maker. He is an Aaron Donald. I'm convinced of that. And uh, the, there was a feeling that Dexter Lawrence was the guy who just kind of cleaned up from all the rest of the okay. Clemson defensive line. That was because difficult was so for good. some people to him. Yeah. Yeah. So so to me, the thing is, what if you get so instead of getting Dexter Lawrence and Daniel Jones, you get Ed Oliver and Daniel Jones. Well, now now you you've upgraded your defensive line considerably because this right. guy's a difference maker, and and th- that's what Washington did. Washington just sat there and waited, and they waited for Dwayne Haskins to fall. They feel into their what lap. many people consider the top rated quarterback. Absolutely, in the draft. and yeah. you and you got him. And so they they played to me. They played the game right, and they got the guy they wanted all along. So I I just think that uh, if you. You know, you have to go back and look at these drafts years later, obviously, to see how they pan out. But when you miss an opportunity to take a, a game-changing player, then I think you've made a mistake. All right, I'm going to leave you with story time real quick. Oh, I should okay. have, this should have been on the, on the baseball podcast, but I'm going to leave you with story time from something I looked up on the most very verifiable of all things, yes. Wikipedia. Okay, all right, tell your story. But um, So the Rangers had <laughs> a game with today. Joe West umpiring the other day, and sh- shockingly there was some confusion involved in which Joe West was, was the umpire. You know, Joe is over 5,000 games. He wants to end up with the most games umpired in Major League Baseball history. He'd have to pass Bill Clem, and he would do that next year. Bill Clem's a Hall of Fame umpire. So I went to the Wikipedia page on Bill Clem, found this great story. Um, Bill Clem... Uh, has ejected more players in Major League Baseball history than anybody, 251 players. One of the ejections was for Yankees catcher Al Lopez. It was because Al Lopez had taken a clipping from a newspaper that had a picture of Bill Clem blowing a call, pasted it to home plate, and then covered up home plate with dirt so Clem had to go out and put a home plate (laughs) dusted off. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen in terms of ejections. I would not have ejected the guy. It even tops Adrian Out of Beltre creativity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you got right, yeah. We got to go. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast.
Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.